0: Welcome to O'Reilly Bots. I'm John Bruner, and I'm joined by Pete Skomarok. This is episode two of our new pop-up podcast series on chatbots and conversational interfaces. These are bits of software that use artificial intelligence to converse in human terms, and they promise to inject AI into all sorts of places where AI has never been before. If you'd like some background on chatbots, be sure to listen to episode one of this podcast. In that one, Pete and I talk about the technological advances that have made chatbots possible, and we talk about why people are so excited about chatbots and what they want to do with bots. Before we get into this week's program, I want to remind you that O'Reilly Bot Day is coming up on October 19th in San Francisco. This is going to be a day-long deep dive on bot strategy and bot technology. The speaker lineup is fantastic. It's folks like Benedict Evans from Andreessen Horowitz, Lily Cheng from Microsoft, and Amir Shavat from Slack. And you won't want to miss it. For more information, visit O'Reilly.com slash bots. Our guest on the podcast this week is Sarah Goa. She's an investor at Greylock Partners. Hey, Sarah. Welcome. Hey, John. Sarah has written a lot of really insightful stuff about bots in the last few months, including one post memorably called Clippy's Revenge.
1: Yeah, I I was uh, going a bit for the clickbait title, but I actually think it's uh, relevant because this is a really diffuse area with lots of convergence. uh, And so, you know, it's tied up in AI and ambient computing and personal assistance and lots of stuff we've been thinking about here at Greylock.
0: So I want to talk about your thinking about bots uh, in general as an investor, but let's start with how they came to your attention in the first place. How did you realize that they were becoming important?
1: So it's hard to point out uh, an exact initial point where we said, yes, like messaging and bots, that's the next platform shift. And I don't know if I I fully believe that yet, but we've made investments for a while as a team that are somehow conversational. And so um, it was in 2014 where we made two small investments. One was a company called Hyper, which is now part of Mm TradeShift, but was a uh, messaging client Uh, with humans on the other end and a theory of automation for travel. And now they're implementing that as part of a larger financial suite um, for the enterprise. And uh, we also made another investment in a company called Rise, which was a messaging system where you would get personal nutrition advice through Mm -hmm. your phone um, in in a text setting. And and the theory behind both of these investments in 2014 was we're going to be actually able to deliver these personal services over mobile and the right format for that is going to be text we can get some economic leverage um, in this way. And I think that's the first time we started thinking more deeply about um, automation in conversational interfaces. And then over over the last two years, we as a team have made a bunch more investments in different areas here from from Oslo, which is a personal assistant helping you um, replace a part of mobile search, um, to uh, um, operator, which is a uh, text oriented mobile commerce network connecting you to experts that help you figure out what to buy um, to a company called Gladly that my partner Joseph started, which is around uh, reinventing customer service. And uh, that obviously meet- means meeting customers where they are. Um, and a lot of the time today, that's in messaging um, and in text interfaces, and then being smarter about how you respond to that and automating part of it. Um, and so uh, I don't know that you define um, any of these companies in 2014 or 2015 as bot companies, mm-hmm. but it really just grew out of um, um, thinking around like interaction patterns we were seeing and sort of the next generation of mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, every smart engineer we knew trying to do something in machine learning.
0: So it kind of started out as messaging first. Messaging was was the first aspect of this that was interesting to you, and then. Once you look at messaging, you see places where the messaging can be automated.
1: I, I think that's a that's definitely one angle of it. I will say that the the real way these things work are uh, entrepreneurs um, uh, will have ideas and work with us and. Uh, um, when I think about these companies, uh, some people approach it from the messaging perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, Oslo approached it from a search perspective and said this is the right way to deliver that experience. And so I think we, uh, we sort of built our um, communal thesis beginning with different angles, including messaging and AI-based search. Um, and mobile commerce uh, but but uh, it, it definitely came from different angles and and the the early investments that we made were in messaging delivered services
2: Sarah I have a question around the whether you think the bot so the bot is kind of the bot trick crazes one of the things that's strange about it is that it's it's kind of neither uh, uh, a mess, uh, really, a messaging platform in itself, and it's neither, and it's not really an app. It's like something in between. So uh-huh. I think the first, when when bots first started emerging as this as this uh, thing that was happening, um, my first thought was, huh, maybe this is a new like marketing channel. Like uh, I think Ryan uh, from Product Hunt had a post a while ago on email email first startups. So things like Tripit, Timehop, Sunrise, PostRest, things like that. And so I think a lot of people have flocked to bots, thinking, "Oh, it's easier to build a bot, and you don't have to build a whole UX, you don't have to build a whole UI." And they start building what maybe should be a richer app um, as chat. And it se- seems like a lot of those are hitting a wall. Yeah, yeah, is that what you're seeing?
1: Uh, so I think that you're you're right in that there's been this. Um massive sucking sound toward the messaging platforms for one reason being the uh, the huge audience that some of these companies have now particularly Facebook Messenger and um, you know slack is sort of the enterprise platform that people are flocking to at a much smaller scale but growing quickly um, and high value users obviously and they're they're going there for first the audience and then as you said um, hopefully being able to leverage that platform as distribution and lowering the Development burden of trying to deliver some useful service, right? If they can use all of the infrastructure, not build the UX, get identity and distribution, that sounds like a great deal. Um, but uh, there are a lot of complex things that you can't necessarily do in flat text today, and the platforms are still developing the ability for you to build inside of them. And so I think um, the developer interest got to those platforms when they were still very immature, and I think they still are very immature. Um, and and I think that will change and improve, um, but I, I agree with you that a lot of developers thought... Uh, you know we'll be able to deliver this service and not actually have to build all of this software, and that hasn't hasn't um, ended up being true. I think one of the other issues is um, there's this uh, sort of cultural belief in Silicon Valley right now that uh, machine learning and specifically in NLP for bots, we've gotten to this magical point where um, it's good enough, right? And like, and you know people are doing very smart things with deep learning and reinforcement learning and combinations of different models and the implementations are getting much faster. And it's like that is actually all true, but none of that uh, is trivial. Um, And it's not as if you can just plug some you know, service into some common sense reasoning module and have like this perfect bot come out, right? And so I think there's still a massive gap between where people think the accessibility of natural language technology is, and, uh, and and where it really is. And so I, I think all of that is causing some of the, some of the bots we're seeing early to, um, to struggle to deliver.
2: Yeah, I, th- my observation from being back at LinkedIn is that, a lot. I, I was reflecting on this because I'm thinking a lot about conversational interfaces and things like that right now. And uh, at LinkedIn, at um, a lot of successful internet companies, at Facebook, a lot of what you see in the apps are structured recommendations, right? So they've pre- they've structured the data in a way where they can suggest people you may know, or they can suggest a skill that you might want to endorse someone for. And there's a lot of legwork it, that goes into that versus. Um, chat, conversational chat and applying AI there is a lot closer to, like you said, search, where it's all long tail, like most Google queries are long tail queries every year, right? Um, and and to do that as a small startup with no AI in house, and just using someone else's service, it feels like a lot of people are hitting walls using even wit.ai or other things like that, right? Is that, is that what you're seeing? Like, so people are struggling to get the AI working properly in chatbots?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I think that um, – I actually think it's a mistake for, uh, for everyone to automatically go to uh, full AI on fully unstructured um, input from your consumer as the right first UX, right? Um, and when people do that, like the APIs and even the um, – public algorithms and research that is available like this is not a solved problem right you are going to have to still invent new tech and wire things that are very hard to do together to get a good experience and um i think even if you just look at the comprehension of uh google and apple with their personal assistants it's still quite hard right and so uh, i think it's a it's a very um i guess the way i would put it is if i was starting with you know, a small team and limited resources, like most of the founders that I talk to, um, then I probably wouldn't try to tackle that mountain all at once. I would probably do structured inputs and responses where I could and like try to use good... Good UX design to cover some of that gap, and I, I think like conversational interfaces, they have a ton of promise. They, uh, it's. I don't think the transition to that in many use cases is going to be wholesale, immediate replacement to talking to your applications like a human.
0: Have you ever uh, had a company pitch you on a bot and said this really ought to be a conventional app before it's a bot?
1: Uh, yeah. Let me think about that. I think the. Um, I have had plenty of companies pitch me on things that I feel like should be workflow software, and it's not exactly clear why um, why it needs to be a bot, right? Or where the interaction... Um, is not necessarily between multiple people um, and uh, it's one to one and the consumer wants to do something very specific and it's a it's an, it, they want to take an action or search a query that is very hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of you know doing a menu, which might be three taps, then uh, you'll have, you know back and forth 10 iterations, each of which is very hard to disambiguate um and and so i think in that situation you you ask like why is this the better interaction right. right and i think that's actually one of my first questions for people who are building bots today like why should this be a bot right like why is this an advantaged interaction
2: one of the one of the things that uh you said sarah in one of your uh, medium posts recently was uh you listed a bunch of use cases so one of them that sounds related to what you said was multi-user information gathering um, and so when I read that, like one thing that comes to mind is um, uh, Subcurrent, I think uh, they rebranded as Poly um, and they have, it, it's kind of, I, right now I think their most popular use case is uh, like net promoter score or NPS scores within teams or how are you feeling about work today? Those kinds of polls that are scheduled and, you know, go out anonymously or semi-anonymously to a team. Um, have you, is, it, is that what you meant by multi-user feedback?
1: Yeah, I think that you can do it in a structured way with polls. Um or uh I think the I mean the 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 really attractive value of um uh of bots in a multi-user setting is the idea that you don't need to change very much about your workflow at all and you don't need to give additional input um, that there's something that is sort of in line and information gathering, and then is going to come back and with a notification or a personal channel or a native experience, um, uh, do something useful with that information, right? Serve it up to you or push you to do something. And I think you're seeing a number of different teams attempt to do that. um, But uh, I think understanding the information in conversation and in context is still challenging.
2: I think the only one I've seen that that did that in any... A uh, successful way where it was re- re- used repeatedly in public settings was uh, ice, right? So uh, it, it, is is that does that match what you're seeing? So it seems like most bots are still one to one, right?
1: Yeah, I actually think Ice is um, it's incredibly interesting. Uh, but you're, you're talking about the Microsoft, yeah. like yeah, yeah. like and the, and my then, friend bot. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then
2: it, 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 the the American version of Tay then on Twitter yeah. exploded, right?
1: Yeah. Um, for the listeners, uh, Xiaoice is this bot that I believe Microsoft Research Asia um, sort of did as a fun side project, and it's um, it's an incredibly interesting cultural phenomenon because it lives in WeChat, uh, which is sort of dominant in China as the mobile interface, and you know anybody with a smartphone has WeChat. Uh, and it is completely AI uh, and just driven by um, text collection and trying to uh, be the uh, be a reasonable chit-chat sort of interface for any consumer. And the, the thing that is so interesting about Xiao Ice is that um, people have enormous engagement with her her uh, the bot um, <laughs> around all sorts of topics uh, and that it's recurrent everything from hey Shao Ice, how are you feeling today or I had a bad day or like I don't know what to do about my boss did you hear what happened with the election like all these things that you talk to um, a friend about And so there's no uh, there's no utility per se um, uh, besides this interaction. And I don't know that we've actually ever seen something like this before, where at a mass scale, people are interacting with a service like this and having an emotional reaction and treating it as a a person, right? And so I actually don't know how to think about this yet. And I think there's there's, um, uh, sort of the obvious implications, which is like, maybe we can use this for things like counseling right or you know areas where you need this kind of interaction or it would be helpful to have this interaction um, you know at very low cost anytime you want. Um, but I think uh, it, it raises a lot of questions um, and and it's it's interesting that that's sort of the first thing that people deeply interact with and not, not, um, I guess, more utility-oriented bots.
0: Speaking of of Xiaoice, which runs on WeChat in China, um, WeChat is is a platform that bot creators are obsessed with because it it's just been so successful in China. It's been part of the the web landscape there for several years. Maybe the dominant part of the the kind of web landscape there for for several years. Um, when you talk to people here in the U.S., they say, "Well, you know, once this develops and everyone uses, you know." Uh, Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever, the way that people in China use WeChat, uh, we'll have all these opportunities and be able to do all this stuff with bots. Do you think that uh, that WeChat is a reasonable model for how we might see conversational interfaces and bots move to the rest of the world?
1: Uh, I think it is uh, a great thing to aim for in some ways uh, <laughs> if you are a large platform in the US. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not confident that we're going to get to the kind of um, dominance of one platform that WeChat has in China right mm-hmm. um uh, i think that's very attractive in some ways like obviously if you go to WeChat today uh they have um you know i i, I think upwards of 10 million official accounts so it's larger than the app ecosystem mm-hmm. in the western mm-hmm. world um and uh and people that's that's a huge part of how people interact with mobile services i think i had um uh, I probably had two aha moments with WeChat. Um, so I'm Chinese. I went to uh, China to celebrate Chinese New Year with my family, and I use it to communicate with people there. And every single person has it, and including, you know, people like my grandmother in her late 90s with a uh-huh. smartphone knows how to <laughs> get SMS, and she has WeChat. Uh-huh. Um and probably not much else. Uh but but the aha moments were first, um uh everybody sent each other Hong Bao, um, which are uh their, I think uh, the literal translation is red envelope, but it's a mm-hmm. happy new year present of a small amount of money to your loved ones. Um but the thing that was amazing is I think they had uh, I forget if it was four or six billion transactions on WeChat. Hmm. Um Giving people microtransactions of like two cents to your friend Mm -hmm. um, uh, as a gesture. But those are actually stored balances. Like that is real money. And what that means is that everybody's wallet is wired up to real money (laughs) in China on their phone. Interesting. Um, And it's like, that's. I, I've looked at plenty of mobile payments things. Like No one has ever achieved this kind of density, right. um, and I think that's amazing. It's um, a
0: crazy incentive to download and install this app, right? If you get a notification that you have money waiting for you in this app that someone you know has put there. That works for PayPal, right? It's true. That's true, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the the second aha moment was um, not only does everyone have this thing, and then they're able to transact with real money, and that this is their digital wallet and identity, um, but uh, it's how they interact with the real world for information now, and that's something like the U.S. doesn't have at all, which mm-hmm. I'm very excited about. Um, so you know, I was in a third tier city in China, and I checked into my hotel um with wechat because it geolocated me and there was a notification that was like do you want to check into your hotel because mm-hmm. i uh because they have like some sort of trip integration or something like that and then i bought um i bought fruit at a stand in that same third tier city with a woman that i m- would guess might be illiterate and to pay her she pointed at her qr code and was mm. like Pay me for my fruit in WeChat because I have a uh-huh, WeChat uh-huh. wallet, um, and and that's amazing. And I, I think you know we're seeing people start to do that with um, you know with codes in Messenger and codes in Snapchat now. But I think your um, I, I think the uh, the dominance and the interaction with the real world and the um, the uh, presence of uh, official accounts is something that we're not even close to. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that we one thing that I'd be interested in investing in is actually um, wh- what you might think of as like continued fragmentation hmm. in terms of communications channels in the Western world. Um, it, like I think the, uh, the growth of these internet services is pretty path dependent. And so if there was nothing and then all of a sudden WeChat offered you like large file sending and there wasn't Dropbox. Um, uh-huh. And people didn't really use email because they weren't on desktop. And like now you can communicate with everyone. You can see how it is incredibly attractive. But we actually have like a rich set of internet services in the US already. Um, and, and so I think it's going to be more difficult to consolidate down.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and I, I do think that uh, there are going to be um, communication systems that persist within verticals and within specific use cases and that it doesn't all just go to, um, and within specific demographics and communities, right?
0: Right, right. How much do you think this fragmentation is a headwind for, um, for startups and, and bot developers? Uh, you have, you know, even though Messenger and, um, and WhatsApp are both a little bit bigger than, uh, than WeChat, neither of them is dominant in the same way in any of the markets that they operate in. Uh, is is the fragmentation a considerable challenge? You know, is it a challenge now? But maybe you know, cross platform tool sets make it easy to approach in the future.
1: Yeah, I think I think one of the um, uh, I think it's definitely the fragmentation is definitely challenging for startups developing in this space uh, because it's like you it's basically multi platform development right? Mm -hmm. Um, And these platforms are at different maturities, so you're not going to have the same experience in these different channels. Um, And uh, the fragmentation affects the deliverability of any one of these systems. Uh, uh, Like If you send a message in WeChat and you're a startup service, your user is probably going to get it because that's their dominant communication mode. And um, that's not quite true if you're even if you're in Slack or Messenger or anything mm-hmm. that has scale in the US, because they might be on any other communication channel. And so I do think that um I think that for uh for a while most startups, and I, I'm trying to think about where this is going to be dependent on use case and not, but startups mm-hmm. are going to have to develop possibly native experiences and immersive conversational experiences and possibly multi-platform. And that kind of, you know, it sweeps away a bunch of these supposed benefit of uh, conversational UI in these platforms. Right, right. I think there's a different, I mean, the Opportunity for businesses, like not necessarily technology startups, but just any business on Facebook Messenger, I think is like very underhyped right now relative to all of the other hype that mm-hmm. uh, surrounds the bot ecosystem. In that, um, you uh, can now open a digital channel to any consumer um, that has Facebook, which is a lot of consumers, mm-hmm. uh, with very little effort. And mm-hmm. I actually think that that's pretty interesting. And like you, you, it's going to take a while to see businesses take advantage of that. But, um, yeah. but that's an exciting opportunity.
0: Maybe we're even mm-hmm. overemphasizing the degree to which you have to be automated to connect with customers on a platform like Facebook. Right? If you're a small local business, you can just set up a, you know, a Facebook page and then start receiving messages from customers. And it's it's no more onerous. Probably it's less onerous than having a phone number in the white pages that people call to ask what your hours are today or whatever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, uh, I text my stylist when uh-huh. I want to book an appointment, right? Mm-hmm. If she's willing to text with me, she's probably more than willing to have that organized by client in Facebook Messenger.
2: Right, right. Um,
1: and, and so I do think that's actually going back to your earlier question about WeChat versus messaging clients in the US. Um, I think one of the reasons that you got conversationally delivered services in China is that the labor costs are low enough that they can do that one-to-one. Like there Mm -hmm. are a lot of services in China where you message a business and a human answers because you're buying jewelry, because you need to get your car serviced, and because they can afford to have somebody answer. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that they've actually... uh, leapfrogged U.S. technology companies in the NLP side. Um, uh, but I do know that they can do some of these things that are not as cost-effective here.
2: Interesting. Yeah. So, Sarah, it, it's interesting to watch this evolve because uh, it, I, in some of your uh, writing as well, you've talked about this use case of uh, Comcast wouldn't be a pain in the ass to get a hold of if you had these things be a reality in the U.S. Um, and I think there have been attempts over the years to do this. So even like, uh, was it Path, Acquired, Talk to, And that was kind of the spirit. I it, it actually worked. I remember using it to get a hold of a few businesses, but it was only like a handful of businesses, right, that you could actually get a hold of. And so maybe I, Facebook feels like the closest thing we have. Um, how, how bullish are you on that becoming a reality in the U.S. where, you know, if I'm having an issue with Comcast or whatever, it's it's a no-brainer to just talk to them on Facebook.
1: Uh, I I think all of these things take time to change. Um, we are uh, at least bullish enough to have made one investment in this space um, so gladly is going to support messaging channels. Um, I think there's uh, other opportunities um, for for startups to help companies. Deal with customers, right? Um, So, for example, on the sales side, right? Every lots of companies will get um, leads in web chat or they'll get phone calls asking for, you know, frequently asked questions, right? So, if I'm, I don't know, a secondary car marketplace, somebody might call and ask a question about inventory. Um, And you can see that being something that might be better answered in chat, could be automatically answered in chat, and probably should be automatically answered in chat. And so um, I, it, this has totally been attempted before. Um, I think we're actually at a point where um, people's communication preferences are actually at a point where they are pushing businesses to do this. They prefer uh, at least like there's plenty of studies about millennials wanting to text and not talk. Um, and I think the, the asynchronous, now that people understand that there's this opportunity for um, asynchronous multi-channel communication, like I should be able to go into the app for your business. And if I have an issue, it should automatically um, be put me into a messaging channel with the business, with all of the context about what I was just trying to do. Or if I'm like a really promising customer trying to buy that car, um, you should recognize that. And depending on the value of me as a customer, then maybe you'll put a real person on, or maybe you'll try to qualify me better as a lead with some automation. Um, But but. Uh, I, I do – I feel pretty uh, sure that this is going to happen um, because consumers are demanding it and because the the automation and the disambiguation that we are talking about in terms of communications, even a small amount uh, with better infrastructure will lead to a much better experience for the customer and for the business.
0: I think that's your, your – um... Pointing at kind of a vision of bots that is very nuanced, and that I had a hard time understanding until a couple of months ago, as this area really developed. You heard people describing, you know, well, we'll, um, you know, someday United Airlines will have a bot, and when you need to change your reservation, you just message this bot, and it does it for you. And hey, it's great because you don't have to call their their stupid number and wait on hold anymore. But I, I think it's much more reasonable to think of bots as, you know, taking care of the preliminaries. Okay, what's your account number? What's your name? What day are you flying? And then kind of like package that up and hand it to a representative um in, in a way that is helpful to both you and the representative. And then you kind of and then a human does the rest of what still remains an extraordinarily complicated um process. This Yeah, you know, I but, think
1: that I think that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. The the question of like human in the loop is a really interesting one that People are only beginning to figure out.
2: So, Sarah, like uh, the really complicated example of booking a flight, um, I, I it seems like uh Viv, and on one end of the spectrum, you have these really complex God bots that pass the Turing test and understand the nuances of language, right? Um, and you know, Google Now, and maybe in the future, Siri and Alexa and things like that, right? Um, But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have much more structured interactions. Um, And some of those are even skipping over the whole distribution via messenger platform. And they're making themselves look like a messenger in a native app, right? So things like you mentioned, Oslo, that's actually an app that you chat with. and, And it looks like a text messaging interface, but it's actually an app. Quartz comes to mind. That's really structured. You can only do one, you know, push one or two emojis, right, to move on. Um, and then I think a while back we talked about Digit, like that feels like also it's its own app, but it ha- it steals like a messaging interface. Um, what what do you think about that subspace of bots, which are native apps that embed their own messenger? Do you think are you in, does that look interesting or promising?
1: Yeah, I think it's just an interaction mode that you're choosing, and you have to decide if that's the right way to interact with your user, right? And the um, the the interesting thing about some of these things is uh, they have one experience that's conversational, that's in another platform or not in a platform at all, in SMS, for example, for distribution and for deliverability, and then they'll have richer interactions that will be conversational, but often uh, a combination of conversation, structure, and GUI in a native experience. Um, and uh, I think that that is actually very promising, because there, there's another part of conversational interfaces, which is just about simplicity and access, right? Like there's this, I mean, ongoing joke for anybody over 28 years old, like they can't figure out Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd uh, set the
0: bar at like 22. Or nineteen, or, maybe,
1: <laughs> or or maybe it, maybe it's a little younger than that. I'm trying yeah. to make myself feel like I'm at the bottom of the spectrum, uh, <laughs> like I can just get it. Um, but but it's interesting because there there um uh there's a limited set of interactions and not a lot of screen space to explain. Um, to give affordances and explain to users how to use complex mobile applications. And so um, where there is density, like if you're a high school student, then you sit around with your friends and you show them like, oh, you swipe down and then you can see this new feature. Um, And uh, we've gotten to this complexity of mobile interaction where people are discovering these new things, but they're not spreading everywhere at the same rate. Um, and I think that actually is driving some of the pullback toward like let's go to a, a, an interface that is more accessible that everyone can understand. Now that texting is so so dominant, um, and so uh, I do think I do think that there's um, interesting reasons to it. Also, there's also uh, use cases where you actually want a uh, a brand personality or um, that sense of relationship with your user. Um, and uh, conversational interfaces are a way to get there as well. Um, and, and so I think there are some reasons that don't have anything to do with distribution for using conversational interfaces.
0: Um, it, it, it strikes me that uh, you know, the model that you're describing where you have a really rich experience in one platform, maybe in a native application, and then a simplified experience somewhere else, um, that strikes me as a, as a possible sort of hurdle for, for getting um, user engagement and it's related to the issue of fragmentation, right, where you it's not just a matter of um, technical porting like it might be between Android and, and iOS. If you develop the iOS app and then you just kind of like move it over to Java and run it on Android um, with some of these platforms, you have like totally different, you know, social conventions, totally different sort of user expectations, as well as different toolkits, whether buttons do do what you want them to, you know, whether, uh whether users expect to have four-way conversations or just like one-on-one conversations. Um, how do you how do you sort of maintain a single vision for what it is that you want your bot to do when you're trying to fit it into the expectations of Slack, the expectations of Facebook, and maybe the expectations that come with a, a mobile native app? Uh,
1: I think it's very challenging. I don't really envy <laughs> uh, uh, people building conversational uh, applications right now, though I do want to meet them. Um, Uh, The, I guess, uh, the way I would think of it is, why are you in a particular channel? um, And what's, what's the, what's the minimum high value experience that your user can have on that channel, right? Um, And so, uh, if I think specifically, um, about companies that will do SMS, and then a native experience, um, it's pretty much an application. Uh, but they want to have a, uh, a relationship with their user and a brand personality. And then they use SMS because of its deliverability, right? You get notifications on the phone. Um, and the the similar reason to use Facebook Messenger, if you really need an application, is for deliverability because you'll get notifications on the phone. Um, and, and so I think like... Uh, In that way, the the functionality that is in these other channels is quite limited and it's just about drawing the user back to your native experience um, or collecting data you need from the user where they are, right? which might not be your native app all the time. Um, And so that's the best framework I have for it right now, but I also think that it's just the the reality of how immature the ecosystem is. Um, And uh, hopefully we'll get consolidation down to at least um, of, of the platforms that are worth building on to at least something that is um, more more like bimodal, like iPhone and Android um, and, and the web. So I guess three.
2: So Sarah, what's your advice to entrepreneurs right now about building on these platforms? You said a few times that they're still pretty immature. And as somebody who's tried building on a few of these platforms, uh, one of the elephants in the room is also around distribution. So there's, there's distribution in terms of, um, okay, Facebook has a huge audience or Slack has a lot of enterprise users, but there's an elephant in the room, which is there's still a bar to, like Facebook, the bar is pretty low to like installing. Slack, the bar to installing is pretty high. Like your CIO has to approve, you know, some, someone with admin approval has to approve a bot itself um but then discoverability is also part of distribution so on facebook if i wanted to see what are the f- bots on facebook i have no idea what w- there's no clear way to find them and then same thing on slack there's no clear way there's an app directory which is like a static web page essentially uh that you'd have to like flip through uh can you say something about that do we have should they wait a little longer as uh, as bot developers uh or in focus on their apps
1: yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's a really hard question right now um, because anybody anybody who wants to build in this ecosystem or is building in the ecosystem uh, they have to deal with the timing that is the the reality. Um, so I I think that we will begin to see. Uh, the platforms make applications successful um, and like push discoverability pretty soon because you know this is this is their um, land grab war right? Like they realize that the uh, that they need to um, attract developers and give users great experiences within their platforms to win this war. And so I think you'll see things like um, the the conversational or the messenger equivalent of facebook platform making zynga right and i think these platforms will begin by giving um, a, a few partners advantaged distribution as they figure out how to give like a a good discovery experience to all um and like there's i don't know if there's um great i don't know if there's great practical learnings for people developing bots today except that the the platforms are very hungry for like valuable rich uh applications built on their platforms and I, I think working directly with the platforms and getting their support because they can broadcast right and they will broadcast and the few things that they have supported have gotten a ton of adoption and interest because there is in fact um ado- like interest from the from the user side um, if they can just discover it. Um, and, and so if you can get, if you can be those few uh, applications first featured, that's going to work in, in the immediate term. And I think um, I'm actually pretty bullish that discovery gets improved quickly um, because it has to be.
0: So related to the challenge that uh, that you're talking about with app discoverability, there's also this challenge of um, discoverability of functions within apps, right? It, it can be hard to uh, to figure out what a bot does Um you know, what its capabilities are compared to a conventional app or website where you can kind of open the menus and click around and, and uh, see what's in there. And it strikes me that that could make it hard for bots to, uh, to be agile or to pivot um, or, or to expand too, right? Where we're used to conventional web companies, you know, adding on and, and, and reorienting themselves pretty regularly. Maybe Google starts out as a search engine and then they become a news reader and a, an email service and a mapping service uh, you know, Dropbox uh, was a storage company, and then they they wanted to become a photo sharing service and also an email client. But right now, what we see are are a lot of bots that are extremely focused, and that's probably because a lot of them are startups. Um, do Do you think it'll be a challenge for these bots to uh, to expand and to sort of take on bigger roles and uh, and and move beyond the initial promise? You know, if you have a scheduling bot, could it become also a social shopping bot? down the line
1: Yeah I think it depends I actually have not thought about this before. Um, I think it depends on just the, the quality of the initial experience, right um, and uh, and the, the, the good thing is uh, it's like any building any other piece of software if your um, user trusts you, then you can always reach out and, and suggest that you do more for them. Um, and I think actually in messaging that's quite direct. Um, uh, which is, you know, I've, I've seen bots that say, you know, did you know, or we can also, right. Um, and, uh, I think if you don't, uh, if you don't abuse that trust and that relationship with the user, then it's just like having, um, push notifications on the phone or an email to a user to announce a feature, um, except right now it's more deliverable.
2: Yeah. That, that actually reminds me, you mentioned Oslo before, so, uh, they, they added, uh, so Oslo is a bot where you can ask it and at least initially questions about things nearby, like, oh, where can I get coffee nearby or things like that? Right. In a conversational interface. Um, but they added also like Stops right. Which is a little different than getting drinks or food now all of a sudden, uh, and they added that pretty quickly to the, uh, Pokemon thing blowing up. Um, but I guess the the question would be in a chat interface, how to do, how does that scale? Like if all of a sudden, same thing with uh, Amazon Alexa, right? So they have a skills platform, but it's all voice driven. So I I I I don't I, I may not know that it can play Jeopardy. Alexa, play Jeopardy. That's just an Easter egg for anybody listening to the podcast.
0: <laughs> on speakers, yeah. Listen to your yeah, podcast on it's headphones. It's interesting.
1: Folks. Uh, one of the one of the Alexa designers told me that uh, like a you know if they if they look at their queries uh, a common one is alexa can you do this skill alexa huh. what can you do alexa are you a human right like people trying to do discovery and i think right now it is um novel and uh and natural enough that people are are excited to iterate to understand what's possible i don't think that will hold right and i think you are going to need um uh either uh, visual aids or, or some other announcement mechanism um, uh, or some other presence to, to sort of keep people abreast of um, those skills if you, if you have a really broad platform. Um, I think in the case of uh, something like Oslo and just the question of like real estate, Um, This goes back to actually the power of doing messaging, right? Um, Like things can become more or less relevant over time and, uh, and your, your, Uh, your product velocity, if you are not always focusing on building a giant piece of UX for a new capability, uh, a new information or service delivery, um, then, you know, maybe Pokestops will come and go. I'm still playing Pokemon, but not everyone (laughs) is. And maybe something else will be more relevant for them to include in the next few months. And so I, I, I think you do need to I think, again, just like in mobile, there's limited real estate, and we will figure out how to interact in in that zone. Um, But I I think one of the things about not having to do native application development to deliver anything to the user um, is is the idea that you can iterate quickly.
0: So, uh, Sarah, to wrap up, what's your favorite bot right now?
1: OK, so uh, this is not a very sophisticated bot, uh, but uh, I'm pretty excited about the Obama bot and what it means not just for conversational interfaces, but why I think that um, the people who think that the you know, bot ecosystem and messaging is, is just trivial are wrong. Um, uh, so as of, I think, this past week, um, the White House opened a Facebook Messenger channel. Uh, and it, all it allows you to do is send a message uh, and include your contact information. Um, and they they say, you know, President Obama reads at least 10 of these every night, uh, just like he reads physical letters, right? Um, but I actually think that that's pretty interesting, because it didn't cost them much effort to do it. But the simple expansion into a platform where your constituency is, and there are mm-hmm. a lot of people that have Facebook Messenger, I assume is going to rapidly increase the amount of Participation they have in this democratic feedback, right? Um, and so uh, I think that's that's pretty powerful. That's a change in in information architecture, um, and it just shows like there's no AI. There's a, a very limited amount of nice UX design, which is like you know uh, here is the expectation setting about what response you're going to get. And here are some structured questions. Um, And so uh, I, I unfortunately, have never actually written a letter to the president before. um, But I think that'll be true for a lot of people. Um, uh, And so uh, I was kind of excited about that.
0: I actually just sent my first message to the White House this afternoon. Um, And uh, it was a it was a fun experience. It's it's a great example to me of where messaging makes sense, because you have you have this situation where you're already receiving messages from people. Right. And, and you might as well just expand it to a different platform where the barriers are much lower. The friction is much lower. I haven't sent the president a message through a form on the White House's website. I don't know if one exists. Maybe one does. But it, it, it doesn't it doesn't it's not as suggestible as as the Facebook Messenger thing is where you 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 have a, a format that you're familiar with. It doesn't feel imposing. It doesn't say like whitehouse.gov at the top. Um, it's just, it's something very comfortable and, and writing this message felt remarkably natural to me.
1: Yeah, that's how I felt as well. Um, Have you gotten a
0: reply to any of your uh, messages?
1: Not yet, but I'm going to keep trying, as you said, (laughs) low friction. Um, The other thing I wanted to say that I think is actually um, probably uh, very relevant to some stuff Pete's working on is uh, I was trying to answer a question. If anybody who ever hears this podcast has an answer, please come find me. Um, But uh, uh, I was wondering if we speak or type more words at this point. Hmm. Um, and I couldn't find any research on it. And then I was like, oh, I'll like as a side project, build something that can record and just log all my words and then I can find out. Uh, but, um, it ended up that automated speaker recognition and privacy issues and battery life and a whole bunch of other things. I made this a more complex project than just like a little, a little (laughs) weekend thing. So we'll see if we get there. Um, but I asked, I asked a bunch of people on Twitter, uh, you know, do you think you speak or write uh, more words in a week? And um, it may just be that my Twitter followers are very digital people, but it actually came out more typing, right? Huh. And like, that's another reason I think that this this moment may actually matter in terms of conversational interfaces and bots and um, being in all of these digital communications because it's a real marker if more of our communication is digital than not, Right. Yeah, Interesting. I,
2: I blame Slack for that one because workplaces are silent where everybody's slacking, you know, <laughs> DMing each other when they're sitting right next to each other, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I can't, I can't emoji in real life, so
0: there was a, um, there were a couple of articles a few years ago before Slack came out about how offices actually had to add background noise back in. Some some offices are like piping in background office noise because it it functions kind of like white noise. But it helps people be productive because offices have become silent. There aren't typewriters, um, there aren't ringing phones in the same way that there used to be. Uh, the sound of paper is not so prevalent. You're not stapling stuff, printing stuff, making Xerox copies, whatever. And increasingly, you're doing business over over um, you know text, and and so you're not even talking to your colleagues as much. So it's gotten well, to the point where John, we have to don't, be like reminded. Don't worry of this.
1: about that because um, very soon we're gonna get conversational audio interfaces on all our new computing devices. <laughs> and then it'll just be all of us talking verbally to our computers right, uh, and right. our AR headsets and all of that. And the the, the buzz of office noise will be back. Exactly. And everybody will be just fine.
0: And, Alexa prepared will have report. to invest
2: in the uh AI to solve the cocktail party problem of distinguishing <laughs> the, <laughs> the speaker from all that noise, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope it'll be a great investment.
0: All right. So, Sarah, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, if listeners want to find you, um, see the stuff that you've been writing about bots, and also maybe uh, let you know if they're developing an interesting bot, where should they look?
1: I am on the web, and the easiest way to find me is uh, sarah with an H at greylock.com. I read every email, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about this stuff, and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Thanks very much. All right, it was great talking with Sarah. So now Pete and I are going to move on to uh, a new segment that we're introducing in this episode of the O'Reilly Bots podcast. Um, this is Bot of the Week. And in in this case, this week, Pete and I actually have a, a, a small handful of bots that we're going to talk about that that all kind of cluster under, under the theme of bots that fight the man.
2: Yeah. So uh, I think the first bot that uh, kind of triggered this in my mind was a bot that Tweets at Comcast whenever your internet is slower than advertised, which I think is just <laughs> great. Um, I, this is a problem that's bugged me for years. That you you know you pay Comcast or whatever other provider for your internet bandwidth, and nominally they're they're giving you internet, but uh, you know the speed that you actually get or how often it's actually up and running uh, varies, no matter what you're paying. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um and so i think it's it's kind of rather and it's actually pretty common in a twitter feed you'll see someone melt down and start yelling at comcast in public right uh so it's kind of interesting to like outsource that to a bot and just have them yell at comcast for you
0: and comcast is very responsive when you tweet negative things at it you know we're we're always talking about um cases where it makes sense to have a bot versus cases where you know you don't need a bot or or you could do it some other way I, i think what's interesting about this Great case for a bot, right? Uh, it totally makes sense to automate the testing of your network connection rather than kind of you know waiting until you notice that it's gotten very slow.
2: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing. So we'll we'll post a link um, uh, along with the podcast to this bot. But the other interesting thing about this bot is that the person who built it actually used a Raspberry Pi to constantly monitor the speed of their network. And then it's actually the little Raspberry Pi computer that um, then connects to Twitter and tweets out as, I think it's at a underscore Comcast underscore user is the Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, hey, Comcast, why is my internet speed 29 down, 8 up when I pay for 150 down, 10 up in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C.? Um, so that's, that's kind of it's kind of funny, but there's something interesting there. And the first thing when I looked at the blog post... Uh, was that I wanted to say, hey, could I install this on my, uh, on my computer at home?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, uh, the next bot in this uh, trio of bots that fight the man, um, the Do Not Pay bot. Uh, it's donotpay.co.uk is the, is the website. This is a, a 19-year-old Stanford student uh, who's from London and uh, invented this bot that fights parking tickets. So far in London and New York, it's it's saved people an enormous amount of money by appealing parking tickets. Um, You kind of like put in the circumstances of your parking ticket and it generates a form letter uh, that you can send in. Yeah, I think that's
2: kind of interesting because, you know, it doesn't take a huge amount of AI for that bot, Um, but it it's there's a lot of things when dealing with government or dealing with large organizations where it feels like it could be completely automated. And it, and it probably brings to mind, well, maybe there's something else wrong there. But um, if, you know, the the secret of parking tickets supposedly is, oh, you can make that go away. You just write them a letter and they make it go away. Mm-hmm. And, and then it makes you wonder, well, if it's that easy, why are we doing this in the first place?
0: But, right, right. And and another interesting justification for a bot rather than some other mechanism, um, you know, bots, bots work at this interface between uh, – human communication and machine communication, right? They, they kind of interpose themselves between a human and a computer. Um, and in this case, it's making use of human APIs in the system, right? You write a letter, send it to someone, a human on the other end reads it, makes a determination, sends it back to you. Um, and a bot can act in this space because there isn't, there isn't an API for the New York City Department of Transportation you know, ticketing bureau, so you have to you have to interact with them in the same way that humans interact with them if you want to write software to interact with them.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, pretty soon there'll probably be all kinds of government bots, right? Uh, you know, uh, to deal with you know your your trash delivery and right, know, schedules
0: right. and things like that. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, just sort of yelling at people. It's the it's the uh, it's the government counterpart to a lot of the scheduling bots, right? Like X AI, um, where you can kind of look out into the future and imagine that. If we're all using different scheduling bots, then all of our bots are taking structured data from our calendar, translating it into readable text, mailing it to someone else's bot who has to parse it and send it back into structured language and check it against your calendar and 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 so on. Probably a lot of these systems are actually automated on the government side. It's just that they have no software APIs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So humans are this, this expensive... Uh, high latency layer around things that should just be connected as bots. Right. right.
0: Yeah, maybe bots are sneaker net APIs, essentially. Yeah,
2: yeah. And even that Comcast bot, ideally, when those reports are coming in, Comcast, rather than ignoring uh, these angry tweets, it could just automatically send out a technician or something like that. would be pretty yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, exactly. Put it through their own customer service department in an automated way.
2: Cool. And what's the third bot, John?
0: So the third bot, Pete, is uh, Trim, and this is a commercial bot, so um, and 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 a bit more sophisticated than the two that we've mentioned so far. Uh, trim, which is asktrim.com. Trim is as in trim something from your bill. So what Trim does is you 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 connect it to your credit card. You give it the login credentials for your credit card issuer. It goes through your recent statements and it looks for recurring charges on your bill, and then it lets you know what they are. So it'll say it looks like you're paying $7 every month for Hulu, $9 every month for Netflix and $80 every month to belong to this gym. Um, Do you want to cut these? And if you say yes, it'll actually go and unsubscribe you from these services automatically.
2: Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, as a as a practical bot, um, and if they did, uh, I imagine maybe they're doing this, but it's the kind of thing where you forget you even are on some of these services Uh,
0: and so it's like spring cleaning, right? Yeah. yeah. By a bot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, it's a, it's software that is made to navigate tricky human circumstances, right? Um, unsubscribing is, is a notoriously difficult thing to do with a lot of services. And, uh, that's by design. You can't do it, you know, with a single click of a button. So this is a, a bot that poses as a human and, and goes and, uh, and does difficult sort of human social things. Well, that's one I'm actually going to go sign up for right after this. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Let me know how you like it. Um, I've, uh, I'm have i waiting for the results of my uh, trim analysis right now. Cool. So if you want to try out trim, if you want to fight a parking ticket, if you want to figure out how to build a Comcast tweeting bot, um, take a look at the show notes that will attach to this episode. You'll find them in iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or... Um, you know, Google Play, wherever it is that you like to download your podcasts. And you can also find them on O'Reilly.com. Don't forget as well to check out Bot Day. This is O'Reilly's new event about bots. It's, it's a one-day program. We have a lot of terrific speakers, including Pete, who are going to talk about everything from, you know, high-level bot strategy down to the really, you know, core technical questions that people who are creating and implementing bots uh, are coming up with. So that's on October 19th in San Francisco. For more information about Bot Day, visit O'Reilly.com bots. All right, Pete, it's been a pleasure as always. And yeah. uh, I'll talk to you next week. All right, kudos. Well done, man. Thanks. We'll have Pete Skamarach back on for our next episode. Be sure to check out O'Reilly Bot Day on October 19th in San Francisco. Visit O'Reilly.com bots for more information or just Google O'Reilly Bot Day. I'm John Bruner with O'Reilly Bots.